I don't know what your wrestling matches with God feel like or sound like. I don't know if you take God uh, seriously enough to just go a few rounds with him. I don't know if that resonates with you, but some of us are so hungry for a sign. Some of us are so hungry for a presence, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Some of us are so wanting to search for God, but we look at all of these different avenues. And one of the most aggravating things in all the world is when God, who we believe his promises are true, we believe in the character and the nature of God, and God pulls up silent. And God pulls up as a mystery when we've been told he's a God that we can know. And so when I watched that, and this is a 1997 clip from the movie Apostle, where he starred in, he directed, and he wrote Robert Duvall this role. And I just, ever since I saw that when it came out in 97, I have resonated with that because there have been seasons where I felt like I was walking with God. And then there are things like I was walking away from God, or God had maybe even walked away from me. So I want to talk today about something that none of you think of yourselves as. None of you probably even aspire to because you probably have resigned the back. And I want to talk today about you and your righteousness, which probably if I would have announced that, no one would have wanted to come in the first place because that is like beyond an aspirational goal. And, and, and we just kind of resigned the fact that, well, I'm just doing my best. And what I'd like to suggest to you when we talk about righteousness is that you are closer than you think. I'm not telling you what you don't already have. What I'm wanting to illustrate is the wrestling match, the contention you feel with the Lord is part of the journey towards experience righteousness. And the question becomes, why should we pursue righteousness when it feels so unattainable? And I'm suggesting is because as we do, it aligns our life and there's freedom in that. And there's healing in there. And there is a kind of deliverance from the economy of the world that we can experience an alignment with God and it becomes our truest self because we're image bearers. And so I want to talk today out of a covenant relationship from the life of Abraham. And Abraham is often noted as someone who's righteous. But Abraham is really a flawed character. And so I like to call this righteousness for the rest of us in the steps of Abraham. It's like righteousness that feels like it's attainable. It's righteousness where practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does lead us to righteous living. And if we can take a picture, maybe out of recovery, you know, when recovery, sometimes God heals in an instant, and don't we love that? Because I get impatient. I shout out at God. And there are moments where God answers in the moment, and it feels miraculous. But if you take a page out of AA and work in the steps of recovery, doing the 12 steps, going to the weekly meetings, earning your coins, listen, someone practicing sobriety over 20 years, or someone getting healed in an instant, both are transformational. But the reality is, when it comes to righteous living or aligning with our lives with God, it's going to feel like 20 years of just working the steps, practicing what it means to follow after Christ and learning to trust in Him. So today we're going to dive into uh, some scripture and um, I'm going to apologize up front because I am not going to do justice to as much ground as I'm covering. Uh, but I want to give you a 30,000 foot view of the life of Abraham. 
And the reason I want to do it this way is I'm going to give you a literary device that most of you would never experience in Sunday school. I had to go to seminary to figure this out. And that's not a brag. That's just like, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense because I'm not a literary person and I don't understand writing styles and nuances, but I want to give you a 30,000 foot view because what it does is it starts to reveal what God's covenant relationship had. So the belief of Abraham was credited to him as righteousness, except he has all of these profound missteps along the way. So let's separate what is perfect from what is righteous. And the only way that we can experience that is in a covenant relationship with God, because that's where his grace resides. And the problem is, is that most of the time, the people that we evaluate as righteous are simply the best rule followers, and we have to debunk that myth. Righteousness is not about being a rule follower, and we're gonna see that today. Now, there's a literary device, and I'll just explain it on a ground, and then we're gonna walk through the outline. It's called a chiastic structure. It would be like this. Rather than what we normally read, like, or say, watch a film, and the plot thickens, and then there's plot twists and turns, and it kind of crescendos, and it's like, ah, and then like the good guy rises again, you know, Neo comes back to life or something. And then like he sets the world right. And then, you know, it's like this bow at the end and everyone's, you know, the, the victors win or whatever. Okay, that's not this. The chiastic structure is where the main thrust comes out at the middle. So it'd be like A, B, C, D, E, D, E, D, C, B, A. And if you read from Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, we have this chiastic structure that culminates in the circumcision and, uh, of, of uh, the, the covenant of circumcision of Abraham, and then it backs out. And so I want to give you a grand view because this is a journey of righteousness that's filled with tests and trials. So it's not like we get to just wake up and one day because we've read our Bible enough or we've attended church enough or we volunteered enough and feel like we're righteous. But come on, friends, let's not just go through the motions of going to church and saying we believe in these things without letting it affect our hearts. And so what we see from all of these trials, these challenges, these tests, is that this is the developmental process, or maybe a better way to describe it is the transformational process of being made new in the image of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this is a good journey for us to understand. And I just wanted to highlight this that I would have never understood on my own, but because I did a little seminary work and they explained it to me. So I love when I find these. You find them a lot maybe in the Psalms. Um, you find it, it's just a, a clearly a literary device that they want you to understand what it actually produces. Now, uh, this is what I call righteousness for the rest of us. So the first test we see coming out of his life is Abraham has this invitation to go. So Abraham, or excuse me, at this time he's not even Abraham, he's Abram because there's a name change later and that's significant. But he starts here and God says, and by the way, he's already in the promised land, but it hadn't been promised to him yet. He says, go to the land that I'll show you, which there is gonna be in every one of our lives, if we're gonna follow Christ, an invitation, a test, a challenge of letting go. Have you had that test? Is there something that you treasure very near and dear and God's inviting you to trust him by letting go? 
There's this thing that I have with my kids. Now that I'm an empty nester, I miss them so much. The problem is, is that they're such high-functioning adults. This is the problems I pray for. And I'm needing to let them go and trust that the Lord is going to sustain me and provide for them, even though they're beyond my influence and my reach. I'm left to writing checks and giving talks. <laughs> hey, I love that stage of life. But here's the thing. When God says to Abram, go, you have to understand what that meant. It meant leave your clan. It meant leave everything that's familiar to you. It meant go when you're going to, and go to a place you're going to be entirely vulnerable. Think about it. If he goes, there is no police force. There's no military. So when he goes out, your only protection is your tribe, your clan. And he's saying, y'all go, go to the land. I'll show you. I'm not even being specific here, but go. And so he could, if there's going to be an assault, if there's going to be a robbery, there's only strength in numbers. So he's walking in obedience and stepping into complete vulnerability. But also, there's no welfare system. There's no social security. So when he leaves his extended family, there's no one that's going to take care for him. So when God says, go and, and, and I'll show you where to go, he's really inviting him to this place of insecurity. Have you ever said yes, taken a step and going, I don't know how this story ends. Or do you feel like you need to like measure out all of these things, get your ducks in a row, and then you're, because that's not really faith. So he steps out with Sarah, his wife, and they go on this journey. And all I'm simply saying is we're all going to be challenged at different points in our life where we're going to be challenged with right living, with this alignment with God. Am I choosing to place my trust in you, or am I going to hold on and, 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 because I've got control issues, because I've got perfectionism issues, because I, that feels too uncertain. So then he goes out. And right away, I mean, you've got to give him huge credit for this, uh, where he steps out, and then he steps into the next thing where he goes where he says, but immediately he's not trusting God. I mean, it was sort of like, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm walking back. Oh, stink. There's a guy who my wife is gorgeous, and I'm going to go ahead and lie about it and say that you're actually my sister. And then the guy was like, Hey, I realize that she's your sister. Why did you lie? He's like, well, I thought you were like, would have beheaded me, so you could have like taken her. And, and so there's this whole kind of thing like, wait, didn't you just do this monumental thing and step out in faith and trust God? So it's sort of like two steps forward, one step back. And guess what? That's our story too. This is how righteousness develops in us because the only way we're going to experience this righteousness in Christ Jesus is when we're practicing it we're not gonna wake up with it. And so he walks out and then, you know, kind of his first confrontation into this unknown journey is to lie about it because I'm not gonna trust God to protect me. I've gotta apply sort of my cunning. I've gotta apply my common sense. I've got, I know men, I'm vulnerable, I've got no clan. And so he concocts this story. We create solutions and positive outcomes. And, and are we going to trust the Lord or not we? But this is a really telling story about how we develop right kind of living in the eyes of God. 
See, the fact of the matter is, is we're already created in the image of God, and, and we are made righteous in Christ Jesus. Now, none of you woke up thinking, I feel really righteous today. Or if you ask me, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. We all start with, well, no one's perfect, and I'm not, this is not about being perfect. This is about aligning our God, ourselves with God in each and every step. Third thing he goes, and this goes into chapter 14, is what I would simply call the source on trial. And what I call the source is here, by the way, when he goes and lies, the guy was so mad, and he ends up giving him all of this stuff. So now he's gaining wealth. The guy says, oh my gosh, you should have told me she was your wife. Here, take her, like, take, take all of this livestock. So now, Abram is gaining wealth through livestock and other riches. So when he goes, he's got his nephew Lot with him, and Lot and him are growing so much that their clans are now starting to fight. And they're like, worth it. We've got to like divide the kids up because we're like arguing over stuff. And they're looking over these two plots of land, and one is really desirable and one is not. It's like separating the good from the good stuff. It's the salvation of our stuff. And who do we trust as the source with everything that we feel like we've earned or are entitled to? You want to talk about righteous living? Who's the source? You think you're so educated? You think you're so charming? You can close the deal? You can figure out and do the math? Or has God given you that capacity? See, righteousness in Christ Jesus starts when we recognize, oh my gosh, my smarts, my personality, my charm, my education, my experience, my health. It is rooted in who you are. And every step, we're going to be having to remind ourselves of that lest we become so self-sufficient that we're like, I'm good. I don't need you, Lord. So he takes the lesser of the deal. He lets Lot choose the best for himself. And he's like, fine, you take it. Because he understands that God's the source of it. What's interesting is the trajectory of Lot's life goes a radically different direction. Do you remember we talked about last week, talking about two degrees? When I wanted you to approach Lent with just making a two degree difference, I'm just saying, just watch the trajectory over the next two months over the next two years and i think transformation will happen the only way we experience righteousness and by the way we'll never feel that way but the the more we align our lives with christ over the long term practice is these kinds of small and subtle changes so abram just is sort of like hey it's all a gift i'm walking by faith i'm trusting the lord sometimes and and so i'm just gonna go so that's what happens in chapter 14. And then what we see um, is the source on trial. And I would just simply say growing in righteousness is, is us. It means becoming more aware of the needs and the opportunities and the resources that are already present in our lives. And I think Abram shows this really clearly. He's like, I, I've got what I need. I don't need more. In fact, sometimes more ruins us. And then we get to what I call the trial of timing. If you want to be tested in righteousness, wait on God's timing. Mm -hmm. And this is always going to be a challenge for us. When we want to grow and trust in God, can we trust in God's mm -hmm. timing? So let me give you, uh, you know, he's been promised a son. He's been promised um, a, a lineage that will be as like the stars in the sky. He's been promised all of this stuff. And nothing's really materializing in any sort, except he's growing a little bit of wealth. So in 
Genesis chapter 15, we read these things. Now, he's, then the Lord said, because he was like, God, I have no son. I have no heir. The only one that's going to be able to take my growing wealth is my servant. And I don't want it to go to him. I don't even have my own namesake. And the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And then Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he comes back with this second promise of the land. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. So he reaffirms this promise of a land. But before he gets there, there's going to be 400 years of captivity. And that's that whole Egyptian debacle where they get enslaved. And then he leads them through the Red Sea and takes 40 years to get back to the promised land. Okay, snapshot, just trying to see. But my point is, I want you to understand the small steps, the subtle ways that we begin to align our lives. And here's the thing. These trials, these challenges, these tests are what we experience each and every day. And what I want you to understand when it comes to righteousness is you're closer than you think. You're on the right path. And can I just suggest to you that God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. And when we say that practice makes perfect, what we really mean is practice is the thing that doesn't make anyone perfect. What it does is it creates a pathway towards right living. Amen. The best golfers in the world can have perfect swing with great muscle memory, but guess what? They're still gonna shank. They're never gonna have a perfect swing without error. So we have to readjust what we look at, not perfection, but we're looking for right kind of living that brings us into alignment. And that's why I'm suggesting, can we use Lent for a growing awareness of the presence of God so that tomorrow morning it feels as inspiring as Sunday morning or Saturday night for that matter? Um, and, and the question that I was really wrestling with this week is how is believing more righteous than our actions? This was troubling me this week because it was credited. It was that he believed. Now, if you're a Muslim, and I had this conversation with an imam, and saying that they would view not the sort of um, oh, the human side of Abraham, they would see him as flawless, but his obedience was credited to him as righteousness. And so they're like, don't mess with Abraham. But I have essentially got this imam to admit, yeah, it's not by faith that made him righteous, it was his obedience and his willingness to sacrifice his son. Okay, so now we have two worldviews of a religion based on performance and a religion based on grace. I choose grace because I can't attain that kind of perfection other than I maybe feel next a little bit better than the next guy down the street. Okay. What I think happens is because of our belief was more than just a mental assent or some kind of agreement. Yeah, I believe that's true about God. His belief was seen in his trust and his willingness to move ahead through uncertainty and risk. Where does your hope lie? When you're staring at challenges, when you're staring at trials, when you're staring at tests, where does our hope lie? And so, again, righteousness isn't merely living rightly in the eyes of God if the only righteous ones are the best rule followers. Righteousness is recognizing that where God leads, God provides. And where God sends, God also goes. Amen. Yeah, good, good. 
then we get to the climax the, 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 of the chiastic structure. We get to this covenant of circumcision, which I, I don't have time to really develop, but I would simply say in this moment, and you can read Genesis 17 through 18, and there is this moment where he's got Ishmael, his son, that they had tried to manufacture this heir with a, 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 a maidservant named Hagar, and he's 13 years old, and they do this covenant of circumcision, but they were visited by an angel. And this is where we have to do the math on it. Because God is the only one that can produce the results that God said he would do. These people are old in, in years. They're like, like 99 years old, barren, never been able to have children. And they get visited by an angel and says, in a year from now, you're going to have a child. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. And literally, ha, ha, ha. Sarah laughed. She laughs. And so now we have this moment where, based on ancient medicine and procedural work, we know that it takes nine months of gestation to be able to produce a child, but it takes about three months to be able to scrape off the foreskin and be able to heal. Pre-penicillin, pre-antiseptics, there's, you know, there, there's nothing that's, this is just the natural healing process is gonna take about three months. So really, here's these people that are almost 100 years old and they've got a one week window to conceive when they've never been able to conceive. Who is responsible? Who is authoring life here? So here we have this covenant of circumcision that says, this is not gonna happen by any other means, but by you trusting and, and walking with me. Locked in that passage, but there is this culmination that comes together. And, and, and this is where the birth of, of Isaac gets announced. And Isaac's name means God laughs, or he laughs. Well, then it quickly backs out, and it goes through the next steps. It goes through chapter 18, which is the, the test of family. Abraham has to stand in the gap for Lot because Lot's kind of gone this other way. He's, he's occupied this really sinful city that is crazy, that loses its PG rating, if you want to read more about it, but it's disgusting. Um, and he stands in the gap for him, uh, and, and then he goes... And then he becomes so familiar, it's what I call the test of the new normal. Lot's fatigue with the familiar. He had just lost sight of it. He had become so comfortable. But these two angels walk into Sodom, and he notices them. And before the city can overtake, he brings them back to his house to kind of keep them away from everyone else. But he's been so corrupted. It's like everyone is corrupted. He's just lowered himself to, to the debauchery around him. And so you see now this contrast. And again, two degrees makes a big difference over time. And this is how I feel like righteousness is developed. Well, then it's what I call the, um, or the test of common sense, which um, here's, bless his heart, he lies about Sarah again. He's like, no, seriously, she's my sister. And, and there's this big thing, it's like, are you going to trust God? Haven't you seen God faithful? And I would ask each of us the same question. When I doubt God the most, when I shout at God the most, when I say, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, I need an answer. Or Lord, where are you? I'm not hearing you. The question is always, God, help me to see how you've already been faithful. And why would you stop being faithful today? Because you are a faithful God. You can't not be faithful. And I need that reminder. 
So then he comes back out and he goes, what I call the test of faithfulness is learning to care for the vulnerable. So there's the birth of Isaac, but then Hagar and Ishmael are getting run out as, as and then there's this oath with Abimelech. And, and there's, again, I'm just giving you the highlights of it, but God is doing a work in his life and saying, yes, I have accumulated great wealth. Yes, God has answered promises. Yes, God has been more faithful than me, but there are still needs among me, and I can't live with a calloused heart, acting like somehow I earn or deserve all of God's abundance in me, and he's still caring for the vulnerable among them. So even though we grow in Christ, even though God blesses us, he's understanding that I have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And if we don't live with a sensitized heart to the needs among us, we're going to end up just feeling like we deserve what we have. And God wants to break that narrative so that we can actually <laughs> be fully free and fully alive. And then the last thing, and this is where it kind of comes full circle, is the test of open hands. Look, look at where we started. It's the test of letting go. And now we're finishing in this great chiastic structure that in, in chapter 22, the test of open hands, which is really the same kind of test. When God gives gifts, are we going to hold on to them with clenched fists? Or are we going to treat them very delicately like and say, God, the same God who provided for us is the same God who will continue to provide. The same God that blesses us that we don't want to let go of is the same God that wants to move us into greater and different kinds of blessings. That's the kind of work that God wants to do in and through us. And this happens when we choose to walk in covenant relationship because that's where his grace is so demonstrated that we can take two steps forward and one step back. And again, my point to you is you are closer than you think. Practicing faith won't necessarily, um, will never make us perfect, but it can produce a kind of righteousness in us. So time with God, and I would add, time with God in Christian community breeds righteousness that has a lot less to do with rule keeping. And some of you grew up where it's like, just show me the rules. Just show me what obedience looks like. And some of you grew up feeling kind of guilted into making the right choices. And this isn't that. There is this gracious kind of courtship that we're invited out of love into aligning our hearts so that our hearts begin to break for what breaks God's heart. We grieve for what grieves God's heart. And I would simply say that righteousness comes by faith in learning to trust. And righteousness is just found in small strides and subtle ways. When we surrender and own our shortcomings, and it's what happens when we increasingly shift from being the center of our lives. Can I just ask you to bow your heads with me, and I just want to lead you through a kind of a prayer time. I just want you to think about what that means. Um, I hope what you heard today is Pastor Dave said that I'm more righteous than I see myself. And I want you to own that. Not as something that I see in you, but God sees in you. And there is a sufficiency of a grace that we say, yeah, I'm, perfect. I'm not perfect and I need grace. But no, no, no. I want you to understand God's grace for you. And on the far side of covenant relationship with God, 
ends up in righteousness. It's not assumed, and it's certainly not automatic any more than a good marriage is after 50 years. But it's cultivated in next steps and subtle gestures. It's seen in selfless acts and growing in trust. It's saying, Lord, I don't have much, but I do have a heart that longs for you. So let this season of Lent draw you into his presence. Let there be a daily meditation so that you might yield more to the prompts of the Holy Spirit of God. In what ways have you had to trust God and seen him work? In what ways have you had, not chose, but you, you had no other option, you had to trust God and you see it work? ways are you being challenged to trust God because you cannot control outcomes? This is, this, is the, this is the fertile soil of righteousness. This is where the sufficiency of God's grace comes into play. This is where God becomes real, becomes more than just a, a belief statement. In what ways or areas of your life is it hardest for you to trust God? God, you see the desires of our heart, and they are for you. We wouldn't get up on a Sunday morning and, and go through this routine if it wasn't for you. So would you meet with each of your children today with a word of encouragement? Add your grace to my words to make it understanding, but I pray that this larger view of Abram's life, where he goes through a name change and experience a new identity, could be part of our story. And you have named us your own. You've called us to yourself, and we're closer than we think. So give us the strength in small and subtle ways to pivot, to respond to your prompts, to draw near you and let our trust in you, our belief in you, be credited as righteousness as it was in Abraham. To just minister to us and speak to us in these few moments in Jesus.